How's everybody doing today? Awesome, awesome, guys. It's so good to see you guys. I love coming here on Sunday mornings and just worshiping with you guys and uh, just getting the opportunity to spend about an hour of the hour, a little more, uh, just worshiping the Lord and uh, just getting to talk to you guys about what God's laid on our hearts as a church and what God's doing in our, in our midst. And um, if, you, if it's your first time here, I want to give you a, a special welcome. We love our first-time guests. We love the opportunity that you've um, given yourself to take your next steps in following Jesus in a way um, that is being obedient to him. Um, and we believe, we truly believe that um, if you're a believer in Christ, that your foundational obedience needs to be in worshiping with like-minded believers and being in growing in a strong um, a community base of, of fellow believers, and we believe that's your first step as a, as a believer. So I just want to I just want to thank you for being here. Um, if you didn't stop by our first time the guest table, do that because uh, we want to give you something uh, just to kind of uh, to take with you to kind of look over about what our church is about, and it kind of gives you some reading material, or whatever. Uh, but also uh, check our next steps table because uh, one thing I know is we all have next steps in here. If you're a believer, no matter what. Uh, caliber of believer you are, whether you're a five-year-old or a 25 or a hundred-year-old, wherever you're at with the Lord, you have a next step. Like, you have a next step to take in your faith. That might be baptism. That might be uh, joining a small group, a connector. That might be serving. It might be giving. It might be going on a mission trip. It might be doing all God has a next step for all of us, and that's something I want us to always remember because that's something that we, as a church we need to focus on is, is working together with one another to build um, next steps with each other. And so, it's good. Y'all, y'all good this morning? Everybody okay? All right. I'm about to jump into some good stuff. We're on, the, we're on the second week of our series called Counterfeit, and this is actually the last week of our series called Counterfeit, the shortest series of all time at Connection Church. Um, so it's going to be good. It's, it's going to be awesome this morning. So I'm excited about talking to you guys in here this morning. So um, I, I, I never would thought I would have said this because in school, I never would have said this because I, I probably would have beat myself up. But I love science all of a sudden. I, I like science. Does anybody here that's like science? Nobody. All right, so a few people are. I love science. I know it's random, but, but so many of us, you know, so many people used to, used to use science to say that um, God doesn't exist. They say science disproves God. Who's heard that? A lot, right? A lot of people. Science disproves God. But I truly believe that science proves God. And I'm not going to get into all the, all the depths of the things that I can get, go into, but I was just looking today to kind of look at our, this sermon we're talking about today, the facts about the earth. And, you know, I, does anybody like to go fast in here, like Ricky Bobby? I like to go fast. Anybody like to go fast? One person. Good. All right. I like to go fast. I love it. Well, well I'm sorry to tell you, if you don't like to go fast, you're actually really going fast as far as the earth is concerned. We're actually right now traveling at a, at a rate of 18.2 miles per second in space right now going around fast, real fast. We like to go fast on earth. Um, while we're doing that, we're spinning around a, on an axis a thousand miles per hour. So we're going at 18.2 miles per second, going a thousand miles an hour. That's a, that makes me dizzy thinking about it, right? Who wants to go to the ferry ride that ride? Nobody, right? So, but think about it. Think about this though. It's like the earth. I asked, I asked a bunch of my friends this week, guess how many miles that you travel in one year around the, around the sun? Just guess. I, I, was, I, was, I just was like amazed by this. But you're traveling every year around the sun, 584 million miles around the sun. Every year, every year around the sun. And it's so cool because every year God gives us an opportunity for things, for life, for, for moving forward. And, and one of the questions that it got me this week is like how far we've traveled this past year and all that God's brought us to and through to get us to the point we're at right now. Where are you at with the Lord right now? Where are you at in your relationship with him? Where do you want to be this time next year? He's looking forward next year. You're going to be able to look back at this exact moment in time and be like, I had the opportunity to take a next step. I had the opportunity to follow God a little closer. I had an opportunity to, to do what he's called me to do with my life, not to waste the time that he's given me. What does God want to do in your life this trip around the sun, this trip of 584 million miles? What does he want to do in that? That's amazing to think about what God has done in that. And so, like I said a minute ago, we're currently on the second and the last week of our series called Counterfeit, in which this is basically calling out the broken system that the church has adopted for the last 1,950 years, basically. Um, it's been largely ineffective. If you, if you want me to get honest with you, if you want to talk about that, it's, it's been largely ineffective in what God originally called his people, the church, you guys, if you're followers of Christ, to do and the power that he gave through the Holy Spirit to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. But somehow we've substituted these commands to go with things to do. Boxes to check. 
that make make life a little easier and our comfort zones a little less damaging and our checkbooks a little more um, secure. And but but it's but it's been a dis- disobedient to the calling that God's given us. And we've taken the Great Commission and we've narrowed it down to a Sunday morning service instead of usili- utilizing the influence that God has given us to carry out the commission that he's called us to as his followers. And that's what I've seen has been a pattern from the time of the, the disciples at Acts to here. It's kind of been a, a, a downward slope. It's had ups and downs, but as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a grand scheme, that's what we've seen as a church. And a heart that has been changed by God, guys, naturally is going to desire the things that God desires. Can we agree with that? If you've been, if you've been changed by God, then it's, you're going to desire the things God desires because God's put a new heart inside of you is what the Bible says. And what I want you to hear this morning is that, you know, we have to understand that um, what a healthy church looks like is one that is following Jesus and is not backtracking. And last week we talked about a, what a healthy church looked like. We looked at Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, where the, what, the, what the church looked like, it was full of religion, and, the, and the religion had destroyed its effectiveness in the area. And there was the church of Ephesus, and they were doing all these right things they were, um, they were being discerning of, of false teachers. They were, they were doing the, the work of the church in the, in the communities and the people that God had called them to be, all that stuff. They lost their zeal, their spiritual fervor, their passion, their motivation. And what did God say? God said they had lost their first love. What if Jesus came to you and said, you've lost your first love? You've lost me. But I've, do, I've lost it in the, in the midst of doing all the things for you, but I've lost my love for you. So basically, you've lost the motivation to be doing the things you're doing. God told them to repent and turn back to the things they used to do, or they would, he would come and remove their influence from that church, that area. And that's scary. And my heart for today is, that, is for us to take a step further in this and, and, we're, and, and just to kind of see where our lives, individuals, your lives, my lives, our lives as a church here in Pula, Georgia, fall on that spectrum. Has our faith driven us? Has our faith driven us? And I'm not talking about I'm waking up and I'm going to Sunday morning service because that's how I was raised and that's what it's right, so I'm going to do it. That's not what I'm talking about. Has our faith driven us to passionately pursue the mission of God? And some people are here this morning like, what is the mission of God? It's to read your Bible and pray your No, that's not the mission of God, actually. The mission of God is going to make disciples of all nations, to teach them, to baptize them. And to see him come to the Lord and see him enter into the church. So what I've learned is that, you know, our faith has driven us into the cycle of doing things to check off the boxes of our momentary experiences with God that we have at Connect Group or at church or listening to a podcast on the way to work or our devotional in the morning times with our coffee. But, but we're, we're lacking in the, in the, in the mission and the pursuit of, our, of the people of God. This is a sign. This is what I've learned. The two signs that I think that I can, I can narrow this down for you guys is the, is the sign of a genuine saving faith is two things. A passionate commitment to the people of God and a passionate, a passionate commitment to the mission of God. That shows where your heart's at. Shows your heart. A passionate commitment to the people of God and a passionate commitment to the mission of God. And there are always two ways to tell what you believers are what we what you believe. It's always two ways to tell what you believe, what I believe. One, one is with your mouth and what it says. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. This is what I believe God is. This is what I believe about this or this or this. And the other is the is 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 the one way, is the most reliable way, is your life test is your what's your life testimony is, what your life says, how you live your life. What I say with my mouth and what I do with my life. If those things don't match up, and if your life testimony is different than your, what your mouth says, God always accepts the testimony of your life every single time. Every time. Every time. And so my question for you this morning, individually for you, is what does our lives say about our relationship with Jesus? What does your life speak? What does my life speak to other people? And one thing we can all agree on this morning, I hope, is that religion has become a broken system and a pointless attempt to reach God through more things to do, right? It's, a, it's pointless to, to put things to do in a place where a relationship is supposed to be. It's backwards. Our being should motivate our doing. Being reborn, being saved, being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection is what is meant to be the church that Jesus had in mind in Acts. And that's why you saw them going to prison, going to the, to, to the gallows, going to death with joy because they knew who they were following. They knew they, knew they had a life-changing experience where their heart had begun from, from death to life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 talks about a new creation coming alive in them. They were brand new people. They said, you can't touch me, man. 
You can't touch me. God has changed my life. He's brought me out of the pit into life, and I'm going to live my life for him no matter what that means. That is what it's about. That is what it's about. That's what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And that's why unless, guys, we're born again, that's, that's, that's why unless you're reborn, you're made new, not only is it impossible for you to be saved, it's impossible for you to follow Christ because every attempt that you try to make will be out of your own power and will lead to the frustration and failure time after time. We need Jesus for everything, even to follow him. That's what you have to hear. And as I was preparing this message, man, it reminded me of a hilarious story from my high school. I was, uh, I, 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 it's kind of funny. I'm, a, I, I'm always transparent with you guys. I try to be. But in high school, I had a group of friends that lived in my neighborhood. And we like to play hide and go seek in the dark. I know it's weird. Just go with me for a second. One, one week, my friends got a brilliant idea and said, hey, instead of, instead of just playing the normal way, let's play with paintball guns this week. I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. Let's do it. And so, we go out in the yard, we're playing. Um, I, I see the base, uh, like, you know, 100 yards away. And I know my friends are over here because I can hear the paintball guns going off. And I just start sprinting. I'm like, whoo, whoo, whoo. and so we're going. And I'm not sure about you, but my parents used to have a clothesline in the backyard. Remember, like, does anybody have a clothesline in their yards now or back then? Okay, clotheslines, okay? And so I didn't really see any, I, I didn't, I forgot about it being there because I'd never done laundry before. Um, so, so I was running hard as I could. And all of a sudden, all I know is something grabbed me by the neck. And I was looking at the stars. I didn't know what happened. And so I was like, what the heck? My line of sight would have been blocked by the mask I was wearing and by the darkness. And so I ran into something full speed, and it wrecked me because I didn't see it coming, and I wasn't expecting it. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, this is exactly what God did to me. I ran full speed in that religious spirit in my heart sometimes. That I had to do stuff to get to God. And as bad as it sounds, this is exactly what God did in my heart and my spirit this week as I was preparing, as I was hashing these thoughts out. And I hope it does the same thing to you because, like, if, if, we, don't, if we don't get this, then the rest of the time we're following Jesus is going to be, it's going to be confusing for all of us. And so we have to understand what that looks like. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, turn to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going to be at this morning. Matthew chapter 22. Anytime, guys, that we open Scripture, I, want to, I say this all the time. Anytime that we open Scripture, the Word of the living God, we open ourselves up to be changed, right? Right? The Bible changes our hearts. The, God uses the words on this page to change our hearts. We have to remember that head knowledge, though, that doesn't lead to heart change, is worthless and useless in the end. You may be smart with a lot of information, but in the end, without this application of that information, you'll die, you'll die a smart man with an unchanged heart separated from God. So we have to take what's said in Scripture and apply it to our lives. We read it, we do it. That's what we got to do. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Here we go. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Before we go any further, I want us to stop and look. What does it look like to love something with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your mind? Can you think of one thing right now that you love with all three of those things? Think through that for a second. What does it look like? I love God that much. And the second one is just like it. It's just, it's just like the first. The second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus was saying, everything that you have set up to follow me, all these laws, all these, all these rules can be fulfilled by following these two commands. Loving God and loving others as yourself. But to us, sometimes that gets too complicated. That little simplicity is too complicated sometimes. As Christians who truly want to follow Jesus the way we were meant to, I feel like we have to answer some, some really simple questions. There's four of them, to be exact, that lead us to the heart of God as we strive to fulfill the calling Jesus places on his people, which is us if we're followers of Jesus. And the first one is really simple. It's really simple. The first one is really simple. What are we called to do? As humans, what is your job? What are, what are we called to do as believers, as followers of Christ? What are we called to do as someone who, who says, I'm a Christian? If you say, I'm a Christian, if you have on your Facebook religious beliefs, Christian, this is what you're called to do. Okay? The scripture is clear. It says it right here. Scripture is clear, but we miss it so often. But So when we look at scripture, it says, love God, love others as yourself. There's other things, but those two things fulfill the whole law is what it just said. 
Jesus makes it simple. He makes it easy. They, they were thinking Jesus was about to give them some kind of like exegetical thing about scripture, about this, this, and this, five points, here's this, and this. It relates to Exodus. No, he says two things. Blows their mind. We have to understand everything else would work itself out if you follow these two things. And this was in contrast to these guys, man, these scribes and these Pharisees and these lawyers. They had, they had set up 613 additional laws that they had added to the Ten Commandments just to make sure they stay in the, in the boundaries of those Ten Commandments. They were like, oh, I just got to make sure I do this. So if, if I don't do this, then I'm for sure won't do that. And so they had all these, I'm not going to walk my goat 30 yards on Sundays. I'm not going to, it was crazy. There's a lot of random, random laws that they had, they, they had put in place. The kid, but, but this is what you have to hear, guys. Is if you're going to read Scripture, the Ten Commandments and all the laws and all the rules um, that were, that were, that were they, all they were meant to do was to show the Israelites and us that we needed God to follow God. They, can't, they could not follow the Ten Commandments, much less the 613 of them. Look, they were meant to push us back to a dependency on God. Even Abraham, Moses, all the, they, were, they were meant to push us back to God, push us back to God. It was meant to funnel us back to God. Scripture says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That means by faith. Even in the Old Testament, before the Ten Commandments came, we were still living by faith. And I, if, if I love God, I would naturally carry out his purposes is, of, of his heart. I will, if I love him, Psalms 37 Psalms 37, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a very romantic verse, right? I, everybody wants the desires of their heart, right? I want the desires of my heart. I, don't, I want that. Why, is it so, why? Because if I'm delighting in the Lord, if he's my joy, if he's my peace, if he's my everything, his heart is going to be my heart. His desires is going to be my desire. If I have a healthy view of God, I'll see my worth. Won't we? Who struggles with worth sometimes? Man, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure if I'm good enough to, to be with this person or say these things or do this job or, or do this. We all struggle with that as humans. If you don't, you're lying. But we have to understand that, you know, we'll see the sacrifice that he made to see me saved, to see you saved. And that will show you how loved that we are and it will give us the ability to say no to self-doubt and condemnation. The way you determine something's worth is what? It's about looking at the price that someone was willing to pay for it. That's, the, that's how you show the worth of something. Instead of, instead of sitting in our sin, our doubt, our condemnation, our, our constant negativity, I know who I am in Jesus because I rest on the finished work of the cross where he paid it all for me and for you. That's what we have to understand, which, which creates in me a confident humility to be able to carry out the works of Christ in my life. And who I'm based, I'm based off of what he's done, not what I've done. I'm based off of his worth, not my worth. I'm based off of his goodness, not my goodness. That gives us a lot of confidence, right? Because you don't have to look at Michael anymore. You can look at Jesus, what he's done. That's what God sees. If the enemy tempts me to have a low view of myself, if I self-loathe instead of self-love, not proudly, but just love myself, I'll never be effective in loving others or loving God because I've allowed sin to distort my view of God, others, and myself. If I allow the sin to do that in my life, I'll never be able to love God effectively. I'll never be able to love myself effectively. And if I don't love myself like God loves me and he's told me who I am, I can never love the world like he's called me to love others because I'll be so focused on my lack of, of, of confidence. Does that make sense? That's, that's where the disconnect is. And this was where religion gets in the way. Hear this. It distorts. You didn't read your Bible four times this week. You're a bad Christian. Right? You didn't pray this way. You didn't go to Connecticut. You didn't take your next step of getting baptized. Condemnation. 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 It distorts. It misrepresents. It destroys. It tempts us to take for granted the goodness and the glory of God. It takes our eyes off of Jesus, and it turns it back onto us. That's what religion does. It puts it back on us where it's not supposed to be. Instead of us resting in the finished work of Christ, we work ourselves to death trying to reach him by the things we do. Right? Are we, are we, good? Are we tracking with this? Am I crazy? Because I, I, like I feel like this is spot on based on Scripture because we, we hear Scripture talk about the rewards of heaven and the peace that comes with knowing and following Christ, and we desperately want that. I want the peace, and I want the rewards. We naturally want the rewards and the peace, right? And that's okay, but religion stops there. I'm going to do this to get the rewards. I'm going to do this to get the peace. I'm going to do this to get God. But is Jesus what you want today? Is that what you want? Do you want Jesus 
even if the rewards and the peace never came. Think about that. That's what it takes to be a believer and follower of Christ. Is the benefits what we seek, or is Jesus what we seek? Jesus. Jesus alone. And this reminds me of the story that Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, tells. Tells about a carrot and a horse. If you heard about it, just pretend like you never heard it. Just act like you're like, man, that's pretty cool. Okay, just, just go with it, okay? If you've never heard it, just go with me, all right? It says this. It says, once upon a time, I love stories that start like that. I'm a Disney fan. It's okay, you can admit it. Um, Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in the land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king says, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went away, went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman on the king's court who overheard all of this, and he said, Wow, if this is what the king would give for a carrot, what if, he gave the, what would he, what if I gave the king something better? The next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you. And he took the horse and simply dismissed the man. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king says, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. You think about that for a second. If we believe the lies of religion and think we have to earn our way to heaven or earn God's favor and that it's not a gift, every good thing we do, we're actually operating from self-interest. Does that make sense? That's crazy to me. We, we're loving others to love ourselves. We're loving others to get to heaven. We're loving others to get the favor of God. We're loving others to, does that make sense? And it's selfish. And in James 3.15, James calls jealousy and selfishness demonic. We have to hear that, that I don't want the demonic working in my life. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want that anywhere near me. Be gone. You know, that's, that's what it needs to be. Our, our real love for Jesus will motivate us to serve. Our real love for Jesus will motivate us to give and to eventually go to the nations, pooler included in that, to share the love of God that is found in no other name than Jesus. That's what it's about. The, the motivating love of Jesus has sent us out like the carrot farmer who loved the king so much that he wanted to honor the king with the work of his hands. No strings attached. No strings attached. Just because he loved him, he was excited to bring this king a gift. We see his offering was an overflow of his love. It was an overflow of what he was doing. An overflow of my love for the king is why he was bringing this. Just as our offerings to God of our work, our time, our money, our energy should be a joyful, generous overflow of our love for Jesus and for God. Guys, you'll never, ever outgive God, ever. You never will. No matter how much you give, no matter your time, money, energy, serving, loving other people, so what are we called to do? To love others and love God. To love others just as much as we love ourselves. Just as much as you love yourself. If you think about that, that's a lot. It's a lot. Number two, what prevents us from doing this? I'm going to turn over to uh, Genesis 3 real quick. You can just look at the screen. Uh, it's Genesis 3. We're going to look at this. What, what keeps us from doing this? What keeps us from, from carrying, carrying through with this, following through with this? Genesis 3, 1 through 13 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Anytime you come against Satan, those three words are really going to come against you. Did God really say? Those are tempting words all the time. Did he really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we, eat, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were both naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the, heard the sound of the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
It's a big, big sentence. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman put, you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the reason that we don't love people, we don't love God, we don't love ourselves is because Satan's deceived us. We've been deceived by Satan our whole lives, by religion, by things to do to get to Jesus. This morning, the short answer is what prevents us from doing this is sin. Sin prevents us from doing this, period. At the fall, our relationship with God was broken, a perfect relationship. He was walking with God in the garden, complete peace, no temptation. Who would love a world with no temptation? Hallelujah. Everybody in this room, I'll pray, would raise their hand. No temptation at all. Complete peace. Peace with God. Oneness with God. Walking with God. Just perfect 72 degrees. Beautiful scenery. I mean, just a great time. You know, it's awesome. And then all of a sudden, this relationship is broken because of sin. We were created in the image of God, and Satan tempted them to believe that they weren't already created in the image of God. Because he said, you'll be like him, but they were already made like God. See, Satan was lying to them the whole time. They were separated from God by their sin. A curse, it covered the entire creation. <clears throat> it talks about Romans 8, it talks about creation crying out to be made new. It talks about the creation crying out. And we gave away our righteousness and we exchanged it for a lie, for the, for the, for the instant pleasure of sin. If you look at the entire Bible from Genesis 2 to Revelation 20, 20, 20 yeah, the whole entire Bible is about God bringing us back to himself. Those four chapters... Are, are, are perfect harmony in God's creation. Those four chapters. Every chapter other than that is about him bringing us back to himself, bringing us back. And so we see because of the fall, because of our sin, we formed a wrong view of God ourselves and of other people, which makes even carrying out the two simple commands of Christ, even when Jesus said this, he knew this, it makes it impossible without the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit, Right? The Holy Spirit is the one that does this. We can't fully love, we can't fully love anything or anybody without the power of Christ working inside of us. Because I'm not sure about you, I'm selfish. I will go my own way every time. I will seek my own pleasure every time. I will seek my own way. If given to my own vices, I'll go my own way without Christ, without the Holy Spirit leading me back. And so sin has caused us to have three things that are wrong. And it has a wrong view of God. Sin's given us a wrong view of God, of who God is. God is a dictator. He's somebody that, that he, he wants to use you and put you in different places. And, and what I'm saying is he's, what sin's done is given us a wrong view of God. It's given us a wrong view of other people. And it's given us a wrong view of ourselves. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most, thing, most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing that you'll ever have? What comes to mind when you think about God? Think about that. When you, th- when you think God, what comes into your mind? Is it oppressive father? A loving father? Is it somebody who's after you? Is it somebody that you can never reach? Is it somebody that is, is, is hard, hard to deal with? What is it? We believe Satan when he said to Eve, did God really say that? It produces a a cynicism in us. I don't trust that pastor. I don't trust that church. I don't trust those Christians. I don't trust my wife. I don't trust my husband. I don't trust my friends. I got myself, me. I'm going to trust myself because I know I can trust me. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells you something different. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things, which tells me I can't trust myself without Jesus. I have to have, to have Jesus. I have to have this word to, 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 to put my heart through it, through that filter of that. And some of us are upset this morning because God isn't who we wished he'd be, which that means we're putting ourselves in God's place, wishing God would serve me instead of I would serve him. That's a dangerous place to be. So what shaped your view of God? Is it a father figure? Has a, has a father figure shaped? Is it a, is it a relationship where a guy or a girl has just destroyed your life? Or is it a, a boss who is just like demeaning and, and oppressive? Is it suffering? Is it like God would not allow suffering? A good God would never allow suffering. Is that what it is? Do we, do we see him as a creator of the universe, the beginning and end of all things? Or what is it? Because I know that being in a relationship with God and, about, is a, and, and being on mission for God, guys, can never be separated. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, being in a relationship with him and being on mission for him can never be separated. If you say, I'm a Christian, and you're not on mission for God, there's something wrong. If you say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not making disciples, there's something wrong. 
there's something wrong. I'm not saying something wrong with you, but I'm saying there's a dysfunctional relationship with you there, and the dysfunction usually comes from our half because God's always constant. God is always good, and he's always on time. And so we have to understand that if something's dysfunctional, we have to look at ourselves. And that leads me to the next thing is our, our wrong view. It, sin leads us to a wrong view of ourselves. Do we remember that we were created from dust and were breathed in by a glorious God to receive life? Do we remember that Scripture describes us as a mist that's here for a moment and then gone? Do we remember that the price that was paid to release us from sin is our view, is our view of us, is it, is it determined by God or our experiences? Is our view of ourselves determined by God or, or what other people says about us? Is our view of ourselves determined by God or, or our self-perception, what I see when I look in the mirror? Or look, look at it this way. Is our view of God hindered by our past? It's a big one. I don't care what, where you're sitting in here. Our past is a big deal. Remembering your past failures causes you to doubt your abilities and forget about God's. You, do you see that? It causes you to doubt your own abilities but it does more than that. It causes you to forget God's for where he's at, what he's trying to do in your life. Failure, like remembering your past failure is kind of like putting a movie on in your head of all your past mistakes and playing it over and over and over again. You're torturing yourself to death, and God calls that, he calls it sin. It kills your influence. God doesn't want you focusing on your past. He wants you focusing on him and his future for your life because that's where your, that's where your purpose comes from. And last, we have a, sin causes us to have a wrong view of other people. How do we see people? Are we skeptical of everyone we meet? Do we love others as Christ has loved us? Or do we project our failures and our shortcomings on other people because we don't love ourselves, much less others? Are we projectors? Is that, listen, that's, that's big. That's huge. I mean, if, if we can summarize these three things, our wrong view of God, our wrong view of ourselves, our wrong view of others, like these three things are what make up our worldview, how we see the world. When we, when we wake up, how I see the world. Do I have a wrong view of everything? Or is, my, or is my view lined up with Scripture? What has shaped your worldview? What has shaped it? What has shaped it? Is it? Are you doubtful of everybody? Or is it suffering, abuse, and just the death, and all the wars and destruction? Or is it a sin? Or is it habitual sin? Or is it unmet expectations? Or is it, what is it? Like, what, what is it that causes you to have that distorted view? If we approach our lives from a cynical and skeptical place, we'll never be effective followers of Jesus, Period. Period. We will never look like Jesus to the world, and we will never have the ability to love other people the way Jesus has called us to love people. So what has shaped our worldview? There's two options. Our life experiences can shape our worldview, or the truth of Scripture can shape our worldview. What does Scripture say about God? What does Scripture say about me? What does Scripture say about other people? So where are we at? Are we here? Are we here? What's shaping that in your life? Because we can never let, we can never let your experiences define your truth. We have to let truth define our experiences every time. Have to. We have to let the truth of God's word define our experiences. Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? God, why am I sitting in this jail cell sitting next to Silas and Barnabas? Why are these people trying to kill us? These guys were singing songs when they were being persecuted by, by, the, by the world. And they, were, they saw the bigger picture. Their worldview was expanded by Jesus. It wasn't constrained. So this morning, I want you to hear what is defining your truth. What is defining truth, your worldview in your life? Is it truth of Scripture or is it your experiences? And the third part of this is, is where do we go from here? The third question, where do we go from here? We see, we see our calling to love God and to love others. We see what holds us back, uh, sin. So what now? That's the question I always want to know as a, as a man. Like, you get, tell me the problem, now I want to fix it. Anybody else like that? I want to fix the problem, right? We all want to fix the problem. Guys, it's simple. We have to learn, have to learn to walk with God and allow him to shape our worldview. Have to learn, we have to start letting him, his scripture, pour over us, pour over our minds and our hearts. Get into some godly, some godly, healthy Christian community where we're able to have conversations about what God's doing in our life, where God can shape and mold us to what he wants us to do. Because without the supernatural generation of the Holy Spirit working itself out in the church, everyone, everyone would remain in their fallen state of sin. Everybody. This is where some of us might be this morning, stuck in our sin, unable to love God, unable to love others, much less ourselves, the way God intended. Please don't be satisfied and stay in there. Because you came to church this morning for a reason, I think. I think. And I hope it wasn't just to check a box, because you just wasted some gas. You could have done that at home. You know what I mean? 
Like this is the, coming here is a celebration to show, to, to, to talk about what God's done like in, our, in our weeks and, and to love on each other and see your friends and family and show and just, just show glory to God because that's what it's about. Like don't be satisfied with staying where you are because in God's grace, in God's glorious grace, his mercy, his loving kindness, he sent his son to die on a cross to take the penalty of our sin away, reconciling us back to him and making eternal life possible again the way it was in the garden. He wants that peace for us. That tells me God wants peace for me. It tells me he wants me to have a life where I'm unhindered in following his, uh, his desires for my life. We have to see what God has done. We have to see it. The eyes of our hearts, the eyes and ears of our hearts has to, be, has to be open for us to see what God's done, to be able to get this, to be able to, to be able to be changed by that. If our hearts aren't open, we can't understand the gospel. If we can't understand the gospel, we're doomed. Doomed. The whole purpose of salvation, guys, listen to this. The whole entire purpose of salvation was to open the eyes of people, all people of all nations, and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what, the, that's what salvation was all about. Acts 22, um, verses 17 and 18. This is Jesus. Jesus is talking to Paul. Paul, is rec he's recounting the, the, the times on the road to Damascus where Jesus told him what to do. And this is what Jesus said to him. He says, I am sending you. And get context here. I'm sending you to them. Context. God knew that Paul was on the way to kill Christians. Like, that does not make sense. I'm sending you, the one who, was, who once persecuted people and killed Christians, to them, to open their eyes so they can see. To open their eyes, why? So they can see and turn them from their darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So you see, the only way that you can receive forgiveness of sins, the only way that you receive the sanctifying faith it takes is to, to get back to God is to be turned from darkness to light to be into a place where you are, our eyes are open to see the glory of Christ and what he's done for us. Until our eyes are open, we'll never be able to, to we never have the ability to understand the love God has poured out on our behalf. We'll never understand how much that he loves us and how much you're loved and, and we'll never get how to love other people, which is what we're called to. We'll continuously revert back to our own power, which is no power at all. If, 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 if our power had anything to do with, with my life, then Christ came for nothing, is what it says in Galatians, because I have no power apart from Christ. You don't either. As believers in Christ, we need him for everything. And this is why Paul said in Ephesians, he was talking to the Ephesus church that we read about last week in Ephesians 1. Um, you can turn there or you can look on the screen. But Ephesians 1 says this in verses 15 through 21. It says, For this reason, even ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Why do we need wisdom? Why do we need revelation? So that we can know him better. That's awesome. Listen to that. Pray that. Pray, God, give me a spirit of wisdom, revelation, wisdom, revelation, so that I may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, and only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So the power that God is trying to impart in his church is the same power he used to raise Christ from the dead. How awesome is that? I want that, right? If we don't, then we're dead. We're lifeless, and we need to see. God has to open our eyes so for us to see. And this is where we receive that motivation, that energy, and the desire to go to the world to allow God to use us to show us who he is. We have to have the eyes of our hearts open, and, and the only way that we can have, that can happen is if we're reborn, born again, being made new by entering into a real relationship with Jesus, not a checkbox relationship where I go to church on Sundays and check that box and do it and so I can feel good about where God's taking me. It's about doing things God's way, saying, saying, God, what do you want me to do? Opening the scripture, reading scripture, believing it, and then doing what it says. That's what it's about. So number four is this. Number four is how do we do this? Where do we go from here? How do we do this? 
The answer to every question pertaining to life and godliness, like it says in 2 Peter, is answered in, in gaining greater knowledge of God, greater understanding of God, not knowledge, greater understanding of, of who God is. Because knowledge and understanding is two different things. When I understand that knowledge, I change or I don't. I have a choice. A clearer picture of who Jesus is. We go to Scripture, we ask questions. The best way to destroy a, a religious life or religion in our life is to radically follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you what, the people that, that I grew up calling radical are the people who Jesus called followers. Does that make sense? A radical follower of Christ is usually just, just a follower. You know what I mean? The reason we put radical in front of us is because it scares us because we don't really go that far. You know what I mean? We're comfortable with this far. I'm not sure about this step. That's, that's, that next step is a little too much. All you have to worry about is your next step. God will lead you where he wants you at. A radically following Jesus, reading the Bible, believing it, doing what it says. Outside of that, we don't have much hope. If you're looking for a different equation than that, I don't have it. That's what it says in Scripture. That's what we're called to do in Scripture. And over the next year, guys, um, this will be the last series we do for a while. We're about to start doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to be reading through Scripture together as a church every Sunday morning here. Um, we're not going to be having typical series as we have been before. We're about to start preaching straight from passages from our weekly 412 reading plan. You guys been reading this? Everybody good with this? 412 reading plan? Everybody awake? Everybody snoozing? Okay. This is our 412 reading plan. It's a reading plan. If you don't have it, if you want to get started reading in the Word, um, everybody at all five campuses at our church are reading through this together. We have them in our next steps table, a whole stack of them. You can grab one as you leave. And what it looks like is every day from now until December 31st, which I'm not sure about how that's going to go on Christmas, talking about Revelation, but maybe God will sovereignly work it out. But what I'm saying is like what it's going to look like is we're going to go through this together. And once, when you come in here on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about a passage that you had read that week. And so you're going to be studying during the week, and we're going to talk about it on Sunday morning. That's awesome, right? That fired me up. That's awesome. It's cool. And so what I like about it is we're going to start asking and answering four questions from every passage. And I want you guys to be doing that too. While you're reading Scripture during the week, be asking these four questions. I'm about to give them to you, so don't ask what four questions. I'm asking these four questions from every passage that you read to help better understand who God is, who we are, and what that relationship looks like. And then we want to challenge you and ourselves to respond to what the Word is saying. Because the way religion happened is I read a lot of Scripture, and I don't do what it says. I read it, and I don't let it change me. I read it, and I don't go. I don't follow it. I just kind of, I just kind of like mindlessly go through it. And so as we read this, we feel like it's important to be able to understand and read um, Scripture to be able to, to understand four questions. There's four questions. The first one is, who is God? Who is God? In Scripture, as I read this verse, who is God in this verse? Who is God? The second one is, who am I? In this verse, where do I apply? Where am I at in this verse? Where does my life line up in this verse? Who am I? And the third question is going to look at this scripture and say, what has God done? What has God done in this scripture? What has God done in this moment? What, what's he done? What, what is the, how has God moved in this verse? Like what, what's it saying about God? And number four is, what have I become? What have I become means how am I responding to who God is and what God's done? And if we can't answer that fourth question, it's going to be hard for us to say, I'm following Jesus obediently, Right? Because if I'm not following him or what he's called me to do in Scripture, I can't say I'm following him the way he's called me to. And I want to do this real quickly for you guys. Um, we're going to look at um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I'm going I'm to answer these four questions really quick, and then we're going to go. This is what it says. You can follow it on the screen if you want to. It says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, if you've never heard a verse about the gospel, this is the gospel period. This is the gospel. So pay attention. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Hallelujah, right? That's awesome. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So who is God in this? This is the most weightiest question you'll ever answer. God is love. God is merciful. He's the restorer of life. He brings us back. He's the redeemer. Can you see that in there? Where he redeems, we were dead, but he brought us to life in Christ. Who am I? What does it say? You were dead in your sin. In, in this verse, I'm, I was dead in my sin. No life. No life vest, no wrath, no, no, no life wrath, no nothing. I was, I was face down in the ocean. God picked me up and, and brought life back to me. Because of my sin, it says I am a child of wrath just by my nature. Just by breathing, I deserve wrath because I am a relationship to Adam who sinned. Just by, just by my nature. What has God done? What has God done? He's made us alive with Christ. He's breathed life into our lifeless bodies. He's restarted our hearts. He's made a way where there was no way. He raised us up with Christ is what it said. That means we were resurrected from our old lives. That's 2 Corinthians 5 again. We're resurrected. Great. That's good news. Good news. We were seated with Christ in the heavenly realms where he adopted us. Adoption, I love the word adoption because it means we're, we were, have the full right. We had the full right of, a, of an inheritance. That's awesome. That's great news. We have the full rights of the son and, as a son and daughter of the king if we're in Christ. And what have I become? What have I become? Someone who was once dead but has been made alive. I'm not sure about you, but if I was once dead and God's brought me back to life, you would not get me to shut up at the dinner table. I'd be like, let me tell you, I was dead at one point and now God raised me to life. Wow, that's awesome. Look what God's done. Look what he's done in our life. And that's where we should be. And if you look at this, it talks about what he's done in our life. And he, God raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It says, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparably riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The reason that he did that is so that he could gain glory from it. He can show his incomparably rich and great, great, great grace to the world through us. But if we're not alive yet, then we can't do that. And one of the things that Satan's deceived us in is he's told the church for a long time, if you do this, this, and this, you'll be saved. If you do this, this, and this, and you'll be saved. What, that, what that's produced is a lot of people who, who say, I'm a Christian, but you don't see any fruit in their life, which means they're not saved. That's a big thing to say from a stage in church. And that's a scary thing to say, but it's the truth of the gospel. Because when you're saved, when a dead person comes alive, there's, there's some fruit there. There's some like, Man, that, that something ain't, he was rotting, now he's living, that's weird. You know, something's different in your life. So what have I become? God's handiwork, created to do good works in God in this world, to build the kingdom. What was lost at the fall, Christ reclaimed on the cross. That's good, right? It's good news. What was once broken in the garden was repaired on the cross and in the grave and on resurrection day. That's good news. Because of our sin, we've been blinded and, and gone astray. Our sin has left us out in the dark. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. But Jesus, through God, God through Jesus had other plans. He bought our freedom with the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's good news. Guys, there is a great God in heaven. There is a great God in heaven that organizes the days and the events of your life. Y'all believe that? He organizes the days and the events of your life, and he's sovereign. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, for God so loved the world, even though it hated him, he gave his only son, that whosoever believed, that word believed means to lean on, to trust in, in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave his only son as a sacrifice for our sins, to get us back, to buy us back, to restore us to what was broken. He went to great lengths to buy us back. And all we have to do is turn away from sin through repentance. Say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I've been living in sin. God, I depend on you for salvation. 
and you surrender to him. And you say, God, whatever you want, that's what I want to do. This morning, I realized that there's a lot of people in this room that, that may have been saved for a very long time. I just might have um, just fallen asleep at the wheel. Or maybe there's somebody here today that said, hey, I, I walked an aisle when I was eight years old, but nothing's changed for my life at all, period. And I always want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. I'll do that until I'm dead or until I'm pulled off of the stage because one thing I know is the gospel is what saves lives. The gospel is what changes lives and the gospel is what changes this world. And so this morning, if you've never turned your life over to Christ, and I'll be honest with you, this morning I was driving here from Florida. Me and my wife have been on vacation in Florida and I came back because I really wanted to hear, I really wanted to be here with you guys this morning. And I, I just felt in my soul, guys, that that every week that I ask this, it becomes more and more easy not to respond. If I don't respond one time, it gets a little easier and easier and easier. But if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, someone you depend on, someone you follow, someone you rest in, then if you want to do that this morning, I want to ask you to be bold and raise your hand. Is that somebody this morning? We want to walk with you and we want to pray with you. And we want to um, just kind of go through that, that, that scenario with you. Is that somebody this morning that wants to do that this morning for the first time? All right. Well, right now, we're about to go into a time of uh, just a quick worship. And if you guys want to pray or if you want to leave, wherever you're at, if you need to leave, you can just slip out the back. Wherever you want to do, I just want to ask you just to um, just get honest with yourself. If you've been living in a, in a, in a uh, life of religion for a very long time, come to this altar and say, Jesus not my will, but yours. I'm done. I'm ready to walk into what you're calling me to do. I'm ready to serve, to give, to love, to do whatever you called me to do, Lord. I'm here. I'm, my yes is on the table. Tell me what to do. And that's you this morning. I pray that you would just come and get that right with Jesus this morning because there's no time like the present and next week might be too late. So let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would just reign supreme in our hearts and our lives, God, that we would just surrender to you, Jesus. God, that we would just honor you with our lives, that we would stop allowing Satan to lie to us. We would stop believing the lies that Satan feeds us. Father, I pray that you would just, um, just come into our hearts, God. Make us effective followers of you, Father. Give us a, um, give us a, a, a clear mind as, as we think about who you are and what you've done and where you're taking us, God. I pray that you would just come in this place, Father, and just allow us to surrender to you, Father, in the way that you call us. We love you so much.